0: Welcome to Living Well Podcast for Morneau Chappelle. I'm Mark Hennick. Part of our production for this podcast included quite a bit of discussion about the music beds we were going to use, that music that you hear right at the top of the show. And I decided that that particular track was a good fit. You know, it's upbeat, a, it's a it sets the right tone. It's a, this is a podcast about living well, after all. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in knowing, that track is called Funky Soul Chicken, and I, I really made me feel like I could get into these conversations. So knowing that might inform your response to the music, and maybe even to this show, knowing what the, the spirit of the show is supposed to be uh, as told through the music. Now, in a previous episode, we talked about the way that the arts and music have helped all of us to cope with the coronavirus pandemic. It's often used as a form of therapy, too. So we're going to talk to Joy Allen. She's the chair of music therapy at the Berkeley College of Music. First, though, I want to talk to Dr. Santa Ono. We had Dr. Ono on last season as well for in a different context, and if you remember, he's the president and vice chancellor of the University of British Columbia. He has a PhD in experimental medicine and he's a, a, an accomplished academic, but he's also an accomplished cellist. He says that his cello and his music is vital to his health and well-being.
1: Well, um, you know, music in some ways has been a savior to me uh, when, when I have been very down. Um, in fact, any moment I have in a busy day, I try to go grab my cello and play. I did that today. It's very therapeutic for me, but I also love the fact that uh, when someone's playing, it has an effect on an entire uh, concert hall. You can go to uh, any concert hall anywhere in the world and you can feel the anticipation of the first note. Um, People are buzzing, they're sitting down, but when the conductor or the first violinist comes out just before the first note is played, you can feel everyone's attention is riveted uh, on the music. And then uh, you can feel that that it it calms them. You can feel, you can see it in their faces. You can see it in their body language that music has a comforting effect. So to answer your question, for me personally, music is therapeutic. Uh, I have a very uh, stressful uh, job, um, and and so music still is very important uh, for my wellness. But I'm also um, very moved by the impact it has on others.
0: Dr. Ono has been inspired by internationally renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma, who actually listened to him play and offered his encouragement.
1: I've been very fortunate to have met Yo-Yo Ma on a couple of occasions, and he even um, listened to me play. Um, Oh, wow. So, so what happened was that um, um, there is a cello, fine cellist in the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra called uh, Alan Rafferty and uh, he had a, a group, a studio of, of cello students, um, bachelor and uh, graduate students, and he adopted me when he, when he learned I was trying to, to, to relearn the cello after not having played it for 25 years. And so he, he got me back on, on my feet and, and, and retaught me how, how to play the cello. And he adopted me into his studio. And then uh, we, we were playing in the lobby of, of, um, of Music Hall in Cincinnati, which is a glorious hall. And Yo-Yo Ma was uh, performing that day and heard that a, a number of cellists were playing in the lobby. Um, and he came to listen to us play. And somewhere I have a photograph of him. Peering around the corner, watching uh, this studio of uh, a number of young cellists and me, a, a middle aged cellist playing something together. And so, and he was very encouraging, the kind of uh, wonderful person he is.
0: But it was Ma's Songs of Comfort that really struck a chord with Dr. Ono. So he started his own program, recording his cello music that he posts and shares on Instagram. And he's also turned it into an opportunity for the Faculty of Music at UBC.
1: The UBC School of Music has several hundred incredibly gifted uh, uh, students, but also has incredibly gifted faculty. And uh, this pandemic uh, has really thrown a wrench into what they do. Uh, The students uh, are, are not able to perform. Many of them are not able to get to an instrument. Many of them are secluded in their uh, residence hall or in their apartment or at home, unable to practice, unable to perform. And this is their passion. And for the faculty members and the staff at the School of Music, it's the same thing. It's, uh, they, they love to teach. It's, it's an amazing ex- experience to take a gifted young student and to interact with them on a regular basis and see them grow as a musician and you can do that to some extent over zoom but it's not quite the same Um, and so a lot has been taken away by this virus uh, even for those who haven't been infected and uh, for me seeing that impact of the virus on, on on these individuals who are so gifted so so passionate about about the art of music i wanted to do something about it and so um you know including students in, in recording their, their music and videos and streaming that music through the faculty of medicine uh, to senior care homes um, where they were also isolated from their children and their grandchildren because of COVID-19. It was a way of really having a win-win situation where the music students who could perform and share with um, individuals who are feeling very isolated. Uh, and and share the therapeutic aspect, the comforting aspect of music. And so it really became a win-win. We even found ways to pay the students. And the students uh, lost a lot of gigs. Uh, Many of these students pay for their livelihood or or some of their education by playing at weddings and playing concerts. And all of that evaporated with the pandemic. And so those were the motivations.
0: You know, I've watched so many of your performances <laughs> through the uh, the Songs of Comfort series that you've been doing, and then of course other students as well and other people um, participating in this. So, you know, one of my favorites of yours has been your rendition of "Going Home." Of course, it's a, uh, literally a classic, but also there's something so deeply, deeply comforting about it. And I'm wondering what specific pieces of music have given you comfort over the years. Which ones do you keep coming back to?
1: Well. I, as of today, actually, I played one of my favorites, which is a something called the uh, Chopin Polonaise Brilliant, which is uh, is a duo. It's a, it's for the cello and the piano, and uh, you know it's inc- incredibly difficult for the piano. It's moderately difficult for the cello. There, there are two versions. There's one that's impossible and then there's one that I play, which is moderately difficult. But I love it because um, there's a real interplay between the piano and the cello. And uh, for me, music is beautiful just as, uh, e- even if it's just you as a, as a soloist, but it's amplified if, if you're playing uh, collaboratively, in this case with the piano or with chamber music, uh, it just uh, it's extraordinary when you have multiple people creating the same uh, music and so um, I look for, for opportunities to collaborate um, and it, it can be with uh, an accomplished musician but it can be just as gratifying to me if it's a, a seven year old or even recently I've been uh, hopefully trying to encourage a three year old to play the cello I can't wait to the moment where we can actually play a little simple duet even if it's Twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's that ability to collaboratively make music, uh, which is really a remarkable thing.
0: When we come back, what's actually going on in your brain when you're listening to music? We put that question to Dr. Joy Allen at the Berklee College of Music in Boston.
2: The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by Wellcan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the Wellcan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. Wellcan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well Podcast and your host, Mark Hannick.
0: Today on the show, I'm speaking with Dr. Joy Allen. Joy is the acting director of the Music and Health Institute at the Berklee College of Music, where she's also chair of the music therapy department, in addition to herself being a a board-certified music therapist. Uh, Joy, thanks so much for joining me today.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: So for those who don't know, uh, what is music therapy?
3: Music therapy is using music music. And music-based experiences and relationship that develops within those experiences to maintain or improve health. And health could be physical health, it could be emotional health, it could be um, spiritual health.
0: So, what would who would be the typical clients or patients that would engage music therapy?
3: So, here's the great thing: is that the field is so the, the depth and breadth of the field is just expanded tremendously. So, originally, it really got its its beginnings in in the United States, in the military. So nurses um, on the battlefields, when there wasn't a lot of pain medication and there was a lot of injuries, were using music, whether it was their singing voices or using army bands to help with motivation to really help um, affect change on different ways. Nowadays, music therapists work from anything from... Um, neonates, premature infants in the hospital settings, to individuals living with autism, to individuals living with neurodegenerative diseases such as uh, multiple sclerosis, dementia, Medical patients, um, the whole gamut, Um, my specialty just tends to be within medical music therapy. So I work a lot with individuals um, living with cancer, surviving cancer, and helping them process through some of the changes in life that that brings through. Um, I also work a lot with individuals with trauma and adolescents with um, trauma histories and helping them really reclaim their lives and find their inner resources through music.
0: You know, it seems, and I don't know if it's part of the history of music therapy or not, but it, it almost feels like when you're mentioning uh, uh, the the battle hymns of sorts, or uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I'm reminded of mothers singing to their kids. Maybe that's absolutely, the home
3: projector, absolutely no, no. And that's the thing is, that's so great is that you have to remember that all of us have this innate connection to music from the time that we are in utero onward. We are all exposed to and respond to music in different ways, and so sometimes that response is physical. You've found yourself, you know, where you hear a piece of music. Next thing you know, your fingers might be snapping, your toes might be tapping um, or you start moving and dancing. Um, Other times, you know, you're listening to music and it triggers a memory or it triggers a feeling of comfort or warmth or maybe it triggers, you know, agitation, depending on what it is. Um, But the point is, is that we all respond and, and we can use those same properties to help, you know, Gauge responses and encourage responses that we want that could be therapeutic. So, you know, I'm sure all of you, you know, if we think about it, use music in different ways at different times in our life every day. Like if I'm going out for a run, I know exactly what type of music I want that's going to help me hit that pavement in a way (laughs) that stress relieves, right? Or if I'm trying to calm down at the end of the night, there's a particular piece of music. Or how many times have you woken up with a song in your head? And sometimes it's a really, irritating song. <laughs> it's like this <laughs> tune that won't leave your head, right? And other times it just puts a smile on your face because it brings back images or memories or warmth that you need.
0: As you're speaking, I'm reminded of these uh, neurological effects that, that you've heard about mm-hmm. as a result of music. Specifically, you know, uh, there's a big trend around ASMR not too long ago uh, around um, uh, b- biornal beats, if I pronounce that. Uh-huh. Is there anything actually happening there or is this just just a trend?
3: Now, we know, this is what we know. There's a great documentary. It's Yo-Yo Ma and Bobby McFerrin. um, And it's looking at some of what happens and activates in your brain when you're listening to music.
0: We used to think that there was a music center in the brain. We don't think that anymore. There are music centers and they're spread all over the brain.
3: And what we know is we know there's two parts of the brain. There's the left side and the right side. Well, music activates within both. If
0: you could look at all the different areas of the brain involved in extracting the signal from sound to turn it into music, you'd see a bunch of coordinated and a bunch of uncoordinated firing in different parts of the brain, kind of like a neural symphony, a neural orchestra. So pitch is processed in one set of neural regions, tempo in another, loudness in another, Timbre, whether it's a violin or a trumpet or a human voice, and yet another, and it all comes together later. The later, in this case, is maybe thirty thousandths of a second, so rapidly that you never knew the things were ever apart.
3: Now we don't know everything that there is to know. We know that it it activates within the motor cortex. We know that it's a- activating um, in the frontal lobe, where our emotions and memories are. So within that, we know that how we use music is going to activate in different parts of the brain. And we also know that there's parts that um, entrain, and that's where you're getting the beats, right? And the, that beat entrainment and the frequencies and the entrainment. We don't have enough research on, you know, everything there is to know about this, but we're just starting to gather that there are effects. We also know that music helps um, develop neuroplasticity. And that's that, you know, if an individual, for example, um, has suffered from a stroke that the music can help regain and help speed up some of that neuro processing and that neuroplasticity where it's finding new pathways to compensate for those that have been damaged by illness or disease. Oh. And that's the beautiful thing. Um, we don't know everything on why it works and how it works. And part of me says there's some beauty in that too, right? <laughs> um, that there's you know this thing that's universal, that's been around since the beginning of time, and we don't have all the answers to it, but we're starting to see um, you know through advances in science and advances in imagery and what it's doing. But we also know that there is this innate connection on why I listen to one piece of music, um, for example, with my students, um, I'm just going to keep going back to Bobby McFerrin, apparently he's on my mind today. (laughs) But he has this wonderful piece called Common Threads that was actually composed, if I remember correctly, um, in the height of HIV AIDS crisis. And I had my students as an experiment listen to different music. So they listened to common threads. They listened to the Sesame Street theme song. they listened to Beethoven's Ninth, they listened to the rodeo from Aaron Copeland. And I just listen to it and tell me your actions they're all gonna have different reactions based on their own experiences and their own connections. So one person was, you know, Aaron Copeland was like, oh my gosh, that reminded me when I played, you know, cello in the orchestra. Another person was like, that just made me really edgy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of stuff within science, we can't explain all the time because it's those individual differences in our life experiences that we all have a reaction, right? But how we react is gonna be based on on that. but those are those great properties then that we can know that, hey, there is neuroplasticity involved. We know music can help with that. How do we find the right experiences to maximize the, the gains, mm-hmm. if that makes sense?
0: Uh, I'm reminded of a, a quote by the Estonian composer Avro Part. He said that his, he likened his music to white light uh, separated by the prism of the mind. Uh, that image it. stuck with me.
3: Yeah, I can see
0: why. There's a good amount of research to show that most psychotherapies work more or less the same, you know, with cognitive behavioral therapy having an advantage and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, more manualized treatments having an advantage. But part of the mechanism of action really seems to be in the clinical relationship, in, in the relationship between the client and the, the carrier, the, the uh, provider. Mm-hmm. Is that what's happening in music therapy too, or is there some other mechanism of happening with the music itself? Too?
3: Well, I think what happens within the music therapy is you have a second therapist, right? And so it's not only the relationship with the actual music therapist, but the music becomes a therapist too. So you have this triangular relationship versus a a diet. It's almost a triad. So sometimes it's the therapist helping find the right music-based experience to engage, access, explore, and create new ways of being. And sometimes it's the music that just speaks for itself. And you don't have to process what happened or the reaction. The music did what it needed to do in that moment for that individual. Um, so it's, it's that absolutely that relationship makes a big difference when it comes to music therapy, but it's that that therapist music relationship, in in and of itself, as a diet along with the clients that you're working with.
0: How do you think uh, you know when when music is applied for comfort of entire communities? You know, at the macro level beyond individuals. Speaking of that connection, um, what is the power of music to bring communities together?
3: Oh, I think we've seen that in a lot, even from, you know, again, if I even use the last couple, you know, six, nine months with the pandemic, and you've seen the singing from the balconies or the concerts and people coming together. Um, it's a shared experience. It's it's a way. It's the same reason. Why do we go to concerts? You know, and it's that it's not. um it's that shared of experience in a moment in time that you're feeling connected to something outside of yourself, but you're also feeling connected to others. And that's so important. And music has a way of doing that. Um, music has a way of inspiring. It has a way of really capturing the, the heart of a culture. If you have a piece of music that really identifies with a particular movement or group, um, it has a way of association with that, that you feel part of something that's outside of yourself Um, And that is really, really important, Um, you know, especially when we talk about isolation and meaning and purpose. It's how do I feel connected? And Mm -hmm. we can use the music to help inspire that. We can also use the music to help capture what is it about this. Right. And if you think about even theme songs or anthems um, and how those tend to signify or symbolize um, a particular thing.
0: And also the ability, I think, to, to um, build their own communities of people. You know, the, the social psychologist, Dr. Amy Cuddy, uh, who's known for her uh, work in in body language and power posing and all this, mm-hmm. uh, she also happens to be a huge Grateful Dead fan. Uh, and I can think of few other communities <laughs> that have built around- That's a
3: perfect example.
0: <laughs> like it's a whole, It's a whole. Um, if you're in, you're in, you're part of a club, right? You're connected to these people.
3: Yes. Yeah. And if you think about a lot of things, they have that, that's something that- you know, signifies that here it is, here is our identity or something that's gonna, all of us can conjoin around and we all have our separances, but we come together in this piece, we come together in this moment, this song, this sound um, that symbolizes that. It's a beautiful thing, actually.
0: <laughs> now, I, that I don't know if uh, my, my hunch is that um, people who are more in touch with their emotions, or, or their emotions are more accessible, uh, seem to be more drawn to music versus the other way around. Uh, but as a result, it seems like there are disproportionately high rates of depression, anxiety, even suicide among uh, very creative, uh, musically inclined people. What do you think is, is happening there? Is it that there's something different about the creative mind, uh, 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 I, I don't even know, what, what is happening there?
3: Uh, there's all different kinds of theories. I will say it's interesting because music, to me, it allows you, sometimes it allows you to access. Sometimes it allows you to explore. Sometimes it allows you to create new ways of being, right? And if we see some of our creative minds, there seems to be very enthusiastic empathic personalities where they really take on emotions and feelings and it's almost it gets heavy and the act of creation allows you to um externalize what's internal right and so how many times do you feel really um you know something's up and you're 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 anxious or um you're really down but you don't have words to put to it necessarily and if someone asks you how you were you'd probably say fine or i'm good or um but you need to get it out. And sometimes for some of us getting it out means listening to songs over and over again, or our playlist for for the creatives, it's I have to um, get it out through the act of creating and whether that's, you know, a piece of music, a piece of art, um, and they put the beauty in there. But I think a lot of times what we see, um, you know, with our musician community or artist community is that they do take in emotions and feelings and energy from other people. And it's hard to get it out and they see the world differently and they see the beauty of the world. And when, um, that beauty of the world is is difficult for them to see. It brings them down. Um, and and you'll see it in their music or in their art, You know, some of that being expelled and the beauty that's created in there, but also the dark and the heaviness in there. And I think sometimes the heaviness overcome, uh, overtakes, and mm-hmm. it's trying to find that balance. Um, I
0: think that does speak to the need to both support the arts <laughs> and allow people to create, uh, especially at times.
3: Yeah. And, and even if you think about it so quick, we are um, You know, sometimes we can't figure things out. We don't know what it is. We got to we got to find it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that act of creation really allows us to do that. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. even as music therapists, we're not just um, we're engaging them in a creative process. We're not just listening to music or providing music. It's the engagement in the music that allows them to find what's going on internally, but help them find their internal strengths so that they can move through and develop that resilience. So it's not, um, you know, with our with our creative communities, that active creation is so important, but it's important for all of us because, um, you know, it's again, it's sometimes I can't put words, I can't figure something out. But that creation helps me come to a place of what is going on or what is it that I need.
0: Dr. Joy Allen is the acting director of the Music and Health Institute at the Berklee College of Music, where she's also chair of the music therapy department. Thank you so much, Joy, for joining us today.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: You've been listening to The Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford. Oh, yeah.